Welcome to 2.23am, a call to uncommon action, where we seek to create spaces and places for entrepreneurs and business leaders to express their wholeness through evolutionary business that serves the well-being of all. I'm Christine McDougall. Today, my guest is one of the luminaries in the world of technology. No, he is not the founder of a tech company like Google or Facebook. Rather, Kevin Kelly was there at the beginning on the internet in 1981 with about 10 others. His life trajectory has enabled him to have both the systems view of technology and more than that, Kevin is a maker and user of tools. This gives him the very unique perspective of the landscape evolution and trajectory of technology. His remarkable book, What Technology Wants, will bend your mind to see that humans and technology are inseparable that we are both its creators and at its effect. His latest book, Cool Tools, is a truly addictive book for anyone who has a practical bone in their body and loves to make things, dream of making things, or would like to know how, if push comes to shove, to make things, like how to build a house, or run for office, or perhaps publish a book. People in technology pay attention to everything Kevin says and writes. He is the technology oracle, the wise one. He was the founding editor of Wired magazine. He's now their senior maverick. I'm so delighted to bring this conversation to you. As usual, quotes from this episode, links, Kevin's bio, and all are found in the show notes at www.blog.223am.com forward slash podcast. For those listeners in Southeast Queensland, we will be hosting a three-day integral accounting workshop January 9, 10, and 11, 2015. Please email me for details. And if you love this podcast, please go to iTunes and rate it, as this will help us get more listeners and increase our exposure. Thanks for listening. Today I am speaking with Kevin Kelly, who is the senior maverick at Wired Magazine and the author of the fabulous book, Cool Tools, and other books, such as What Technology Wants. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. So uh, I have given you the heads up. The, the opening question is, what wakes you at 2.23 a.m.? And uh, feel free to answer that either literally or metaphorically or both. Well, absolutely nothing um, wakes me <laughs> in the middle of the night because I am a sleeping machine. I lay down and I instantly become unconscious until six hours later when I wake up and I am conscious and in between, um, you know, there's, it's, it's black. And so um, uh, literally there's, there's nothing. Metaphorically in terms of what I may be worried about, um, there's not much really. I'm, I'm uh, on the optimistic chart, I am on 11. I'm a, I'm a 10 out of 11 in terms of being optimistic about uh, where we are headed as a people, yeah. as a society. And I think um, uh, tomorrow is always a little bit better than yesterday. 
not not by very much, but it is a measurable betterment. And so, um, you know, I, I have particular small concerns about things. I'm, I'm concerned about the fact that we don't have a very good definition or a very good consensus on what cyber war, what's civil in terms of um, cyber conflict, you know, what's acceptable to do and not to do. So we're, we're engaging at the large scale with all kinds of um, incursions, but we don't really have rules for that. And I think something something disastrous might happen first before we actually decide what we allow and don't allow. I'm concerned about um, uh, you know species loss um, from our uh, increasing technium, but but yeah. those are very specific, and I don't think they're insolvable. I just think they're the kind of current problems that we need to think about. But overall, I am not worried about very much. So so just, you know, I'm fascinated. You said your sleep is like black. So you don't dream either? You just, you, do, you, do you ever have, you ever wake up and have a, like a really vivid dream? <laughs> just curious. Uh, not usually, no, I usually just don't wake up. I, I might wow. have a dream right before I, right before I wake up. I kind of remember things for a minute and then I completely forget them. Um, but no, I'm, um, I'm very mechanical and, in that sense, and people who've been around me, you know, like if I share a room when I'm hiking or something, they they always remark that I lay down and then I am all, I'm instantly off. Yeah. And so um, it's like a switch. Um, yes. Uh, very good. And so, you know, I I'm there's a lot of places that I could go because um I, you know I've 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 read your books and and everything else like that. But what I I really like to this this comment um you're a mechanical in that sense. But this this whole this this um, thread of your life which really has been about what you call a technium. Um, can you say a little bit about that and 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 sort of how that how you arrived at it? Ah, yeah. Um, so I um, have been recently concerned about uh, the meaning of all the stuff that we're making. So we're spending a lot of time, energy, effort, imagination, money into making new stuff. Sometimes it yeah. seems as if it's very consumerist and we're just making things that are going to be discarded or obsolete or even not even ever used. Um, and there, of course, is a whole machinery of um, people who are marketing and selling this stuff. And a lot of people are kind of involved in in some way or other with with the whole business of making yeah. things. And um, I craved uh, some larger framework to understand all this stuff and uh, to even help guide my own life in terms of what kinds of things I wanted to embrace and what kinds of things that I want to leave behind. And um, I found that there wasn't very much guidance out there, so I wound up 
writing a book called What Technology Wants, and it tried to look at technology as a, as a system rather than uh, as individual pieces or devices one by one. You know, yeah. um, for, you know, first there's, you know, we have a shoe, we have a light bulb, we've got a car, and we have a Blackberry, and we've got a, got a this and that, and, and they're all segregated. But I, but I realized that, that in fact, um, these pieces are all pieces of a, of a, of a network that, that might be closer thought of as sort of like a, an ecosystem um, where uh, they're all codependent on each other in the sense that you need a saw to kind of make a handle for a hammer and you need the hammer to make the blade of the saw. And if, if you kind of extend it further, you, you realize the most modern technologies today require hundreds or thousands of other technologies to make them and they're all kind of self-supporting and recursive in the sense that they all need each other. And that system I call the technium, which is kind of like technology plural, but it's, it, it's to indicate that these aren't separate things, but this is, mm. a, this is a, a whole system. And the system of technology has, has a biases or has an agenda that the individual parts do not. It's like a, a swarm or a, a hive. Yes. It's like a superorganism. Yes. So this technium yes. uh, exhibits uh, behavior as a whole, and I was interested in trying to understand that behavior as a whole. And uh, so I gave it the name of technium to, to distinguish this superorganism. And um, uh, what I discovered was... Um, that it actually had kind of a developmental trajectory where many of the things that are coming are inevitable. So, um, you know, robot, AI, these, yeah. these are inevitable. We're not going to be able to stop them. We have a choice only in deciding or choosing what kind of robots we want or what kind of AI, who, who owns it, how is it regulated? Um, how is it financed? Those are the yeah. things we, we get to choose, but we aren't going to get to choose the fact that, that things are going to come. So that's, yeah. in brief, um, the idea of a technium, which is that uh, thinking about the things that we made as, as an entire system that is holistic and therefore has certain biases and uh, even could be said to have an agenda. Yes, I'm going to circle back to that. Um, if, 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 because your your sort of journey to this place um, has been, in, I, I'm going to say, somewhat atypical. Um, I heard you in another interview um, talking about the earlier, um, the younger years of your life and how you consciously chose to do the things that you did at that point. So, could, could, for those people who don't know you, could you sort of say more about that and 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 uh, sort of the journey to then how you arrived? Um, um, because tools and cool tools and making tools and so on has um, has really played a significant place from what I gather yeah. in your life. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was an overactive kid. I was always interested in both science and art. And, and on the science side, I 
was always making things. I made, you know, train train systems, little trains, Lionel, you know, making little worlds. And then I went on to making um, a chemistry lab and making the okay. furniture and all the equipment. And then I made a nature museum because I discovered this book in the library about how to make a nature museum at home. And I was making exhibits in my little nature museum showing how feathers worked on wings or uh, how minerals can glow in ultraviolet. And I, I, I just I like to make exhibits. And I kept making things that were both art and science. And when college time came, I was being asked to decide between art and science. And actually, after trying college for a year, I dropped out and went to Asia as a photographer. Photography seemed to need to have some of the qualities of both art and science, technology and art at the same time. And um, I was so enamored of Asia that I was there for eight years photographing, drifting around with very little money and a lot of time, a lot of film, and um, getting an education in how the world really worked because Asia, particularly at that time, was completely um, open. They, 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 everything was done in the street. I mean, they literally yeah. would manufacture things in the street, and so you and I could get an education on how things were made and how things were done, um, not just in Asia, but just basically anywhere in the world. And um, yeah. I also, uh, you know, got a little bit of a bad case of optimism from Asia because before my eyes, I watched people bootstrap themselves out of poverty very, very yes. quickly. You know, I would be somewhere with the rice fields, and then a year later, I'd come back, and there were factories and people making flashlight parts. And so, yeah. um, uh, from all that, though, so I had. Uh, a little bit of a hippie leanings, um, not wanting to work for the man, not wanting to really have a job, trying to keep technology to a minimum. I didn't own anything really other than a freaking bag and my cameras. Later yeah. on, I did buy a bicycle, um, and I found that was pretty sufficient for me. Um, and uh, always I was in love with a publication I discovered right on graduating from high school called The Whole Earth Catalog, which was a how-to book for people who were trying to reinvent civilization and drop out of society and go live in the woods and make their own house, build their own yes. schools. So it was kind of the the original do-it-yourself maker movement of the 1960s and 70s, and the whole catalog was this catalog of tools that told you um, where to buy uh, the best kerosene lantern, where to buy a mill that you could grind your own flour, where to buy beekeeping equipment, and by the way, where to buy the first personal computer. And so um, that's catalog was sort of my guiding light and it said 
almost in as many words, which was um, you can invent your life. You don't need to go to school. You can um, you can create the future by inventing it. And um, it talked about business and talked about everything, uh, how to do things on your own. And so I, I, I not only absorbed it, but it was really the only place I wanted to ever work. And eventually my first real job was at the Horace Catalog when yeah. they started to um, do reviewing software. And so long, longer story, I, I got involved in um, doing a fir- my first business, which was selling travel books. And I got an Apple IIe to typeset the, the catalog, uh, my mail order yeah. catalog. And um, I got involved in computers and a modem very early because I was trying to um, typeset my stuff professionally and there were no like printers then. There was no laser printer. So I was sending my stuff to a local newspaper to have it printed out. And when I married the computer to the telephone, it really transformed everything because that was I, I became introduced yeah. to the online world in 1981, I think. 1981. Wow. It was very. It was maybe ten people online. You know, it was it was just like there yes. was there was very few people, but almost immediately. Several things happened. One is almost immediately you could see the outlines of what this would be. Second thing was you realized that the virtual things were real. I mean, that the communities and friendships, even though they were virtual, you didn't see the people, they were just words on the screen, they were as real as the kind of friendships or communities that you have in real life. And thirdly, yeah. um, uh, all, and all the problems that, would come up flaming and all those other things that also arose very early. But um, more importantly, it changed my idea about technology. And so uh, while I had been very suspicious of technology and saw it as cold and something to minimize, the technology of this online stuff was much more organic. It was much more like an Amish barn raising. It was more humane. And um, through that, I began to re-examine all technology, particularly as it became more digital. Yes. And um, so it was really instrumental in sort of softening my view of technology to see that it was actually not as far from life and humans as I originally perceived it in this industrial version. And so um, I became much more interested in kind of exploring um, the use of tools and the use of technology in our lives because of that new view that being online brought to me. Yes. It's um, I, I have just uh, reread your um, book, uh, What Technology Wants, and I think it's fascinating because my background has been in uh, predominantly human development, and uh, uh, and part of that is is obviously the development of cognition and so on and so forth, but also that in the work that I've done that we have we have different lines of development, and you make a comment in in that book which 
I think it's just quite extraordinary that planetary scale problems will require, will require planetary scale minds and that the technium um, can create multiple minds, um, which, uh, and it, it, I mean, it may sound out of context, but, you know, I found that absolutely fascinating because really what you're, what you're exploring um, or what you've explored largely through, through what I get is your life's work is this almost um, parallel, uh, um, and I don't even know whether it's parallel, you've probably got better words for it, between the human, humans and technology. It's this, it's this symbiotic type of relationship. Um, so can, I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling, you've got, surely got better words to describe that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think you've actually said it quite well. And, and um, I mean, I, I argue elsewhere in this book, What Technology Wants, that um, our own humanity is actually an invention. It's something that we've invented, that we've invented ourselves. It's not just that we kind of yeah. arrived here, but that we have actually engineered ourselves. And yeah. the way I put it is that we're the first animal that we domesticated was humans in, in the sense that we domesticated ourselves. We, we've been changing our genes deliberately. I mean, in the sense not, I mean, we didn't know where we were going, but we did it through our minds. We, we, we yeah. um, invented cooking, we invented, which changed our biology. We, we, we domesticated herding animals and took milk, which changed our genes again. And so, um, and we're still we're still doing that. And uh, so, so, so we are not separate from the technium. We actually are part of the technium, which makes yeah. our relationship with the technium very complicated because we are both the creators of it and we are both the created. We are both the Masters of it and the slave. We were both the parent and the child at the same time, and that conflicted relationship to technology will never go away because we're becoming more of that, and so we will always have a conflicted relationship with technology. It's yeah. It's we're not going to kind of settle. We're not going to have a settled view. It was going to be always very conflicted, and. Um, uh, so, so I, I think the kind of two minds that most people have about technology you know, will only continue to we'll have three minds about it and four minds. So, um, it's that's our destiny is to have conflicting feelings about the stuff that we're making. Yes, yeah, and, and you, I mean, in your in in your own life. Um, you, you've chosen um, sort of your own your own engaged and disengaged relationship. Um, it sounds like with a great deal of clarity around around that. Um, so um, and 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 that sort of comes back to the wonderful book called Tools, which I happened to buy as a gift for um, for um, one of my family for Christmas last year, and I had it a couple of weeks before, and I absolutely found it unbelievably addictive. <laughs> To, yes. to look at all, yeah, all of the, it was just the most amazing, you know, I, I, I it completely and absolutely fascinated me, but, but, uh, um, so, because what your catalog in, in the cool tools 
sort of it, and I have not seen a, a whole earth catalogue other than um, you know what I've seen online and et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of like the the this current version of the whole earth catalogue. Yeah, uh, so, so the, in yeah, my the short version of my own narrative, uh, I did go on to work at the Whole Earth Catalog, and I yes. was editing there, and then eventually as the founder of Stuart Brand moved on to other things, I took over the publishing of it as well. And um, it is um, it was the original version before I started to work on it, the one that influenced me in high school, was a self-published affair. So... Stuart Brand figured out a way to use really cheap available technology to quickly produce something that looked like it was being, you know, published in New York, but was in yeah. fact um, a, a very fast do-it-yourself version that he did in a in a shack, and yeah. he used he used an IBM Selectric typewriter, which was not well known. It was something he could rent. It was almost like it was a semi-computerized typewriter that allowed you to change fonts of a, of a typewriter. Imagine that. Imagine a typewriter that you could change fonts yeah. in. And um, he used a Polaroid camera with a half-tone screen to make the images. And so he would take pictures from books and things. And again, using this hack, he was able to put together very fast and cheaply um, a lot of material into book form. And um, the content of the book was actually user-generated. So the readers of the book would write the reviews and send them into Stuart, who would say yes, yes, no, no. And the ones that he suggests to, he would very quickly, you know, uh, digitize, so to speak, yeah. make images and slap them down with um, beeswax and rubber cement and send them off to the printer on newsprint. So it was all done very cheaply fast and it was being user-generated content and sent back to the subscribers. So there was no advertisers involved. Right. And right. it was basically the speed at which this was happening and the tone of voice is entirely recognizable to anybody now. They would see it and say, oh, that's bloggers. That's the blogging voice. That's yes. that's the web. And so it was basically the web on newsprint. And um, yes. that model worked really, really well until the actual web came along. And the whole catalog basically died um, because the web was so much better for most things. And the one thing that it wasn't better for was actually curating. The web got so big. It was so good for so many things that it was very hard to maintain a select curated vision. Um, There were so many things, so many choices that um, it got lost. And so I decided to resurrect some of the aspects of the book version, which had a very by by definition, it was a limited space. And to take what I was doing on the web with tools in the whole catalog, I continued to, to do it on the web. Um, as I took 10 years of really good recommendations about tools that help individuals, and I 
put them together into one mammoth large book that was the same size and shape and format as the original Hoerth catalog. So this is big, yes. five pounds of paper, a very oversized tablet that when you un the book that when you open it up it was almost the size of a kind of a small towel and um <laughs> it was before you and you would fall into it and you would um see all these recommended tools. So we only did positive recommendations, positive reviews of the that of things that were really good. And um the total effect of 1,500 of these recommended, recommended things was not so much that you were compelled to buy them all, because uh, I, 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 I don't think you need to buy them, but the point of having all these things was to make you aware that they exist, that they are yeah. a possibility. And that's why the subtitle of this book is called Cool Tools, a Catalog of Possibilities. So it's to alert you to the fact that, hey, you can rent a bulldozer. Um, yes, you, you you can build a log cabin out of, um, you know, logs that you find for, for $3,000, and here's how. Yes, you can run for local office and win, and here's how. Yes, you can um, uh, design your own... Um, album cover using a crowdsource uh, artist. Here's how. Yes, you can, um, you know, uh, build your own um, go-kart. Here's how. And so um, you may not try to do that or want to do that right now, but the fact that you could the fact that here's a tool that will allow you to make a small hole a bigger hole suddenly um, opens up all kinds of other things that you never imagined doing or um, trying to do. And I think that is the value of this book, which is to open up to the average young person and say, you know, there's far more things that you could do even as an individual than you think you could and here are the tools to do them should you want to. Yeah, I think I, I, there's a liberation to it. I, um, I, uh, the the internet, um, as you said, you know, p- part of the issue of the internet is the there's the curation, and so it can be overwhelming. But I think what I really loved about uh, cool tools is is while there's also how tos and et cetera, et cetera, you also feature tools, uh, which are the type of things that you can wrap your hands around. And and there's a there's a uh, um, a, a wonderful liberation that comes with the, with knowing that that that's reachable and possible. Uh, that that is not necessarily easy to find. I mean, it's there on the on the internet, but it's not as easy to find uh, because of that curation. Yes, correctly. And so, yeah. what we've done is um, I've run this site called Cool Tools for eleven, twelve years. And every weekday, um, users, readers recommend to the editors. We we filter and, and verify and vet everything and select. Yeah. Um, but there's a one new cool tool that is recommended every every day. And the 
tools used in the broadest sense of the word. It means anything that's useful. So it can be a hand tool, of course, a power tool, but it can also be a um, how-to book or a how-to website or a um, how-to DVD or it might even be uh, some software or an app or it could be uh, a map or a chart or it could be... um, a school course is is anything that helps you make something or make something happen, and I think, um, in, in, in that broadest sense, and that's the kind of stuff that we cover, um, is uh, things that are good that are neither the best or yes. the only thing that works, um, and that empowers an individual to to make things and make things happen, and I think. Um, uh, we took that 12 years, and we took the best of that written by readers and, and myself and um, other editors and put it into this book, which um, is a very different experience than trying to go online and, and wade through it yes. because there is this um, the interface for books yes. have been highly evolved over a thousand years, and um, there's something that happens on this very large screen, so to speak, of, of paper that doesn't happen on a little tiny iPhone. And so um, the book is actually not available electronically except on, it's on the web in, in pieces. Um, yes. So it very deliberately self-publishes. It's like in the original Holocaust catalog. It's a self-published affair. I yes. did the work here. Um, it's done with very few people. A lot of, of uh, e-lancers, a lot of people who crowdsource and printed overseas cheaply and available on Amazon. And again, um, I know from doing the whole catalog, um, it took 30 people, 30 people working a year or so to put out the whole catalogs and we did with basically two people working part-time to put out the same thing, same other page, the same. Right. It was actually yeah. a better book. I, I can say that. Yeah. And so um, that is what technology brings us. It's that kind of leverage where you take what took 30 people to do, and now you can do it too. And um, the yeah. barriers for making things happen have been lowered, and mm-hmm. we're celebrating and trying to encourage that with access to tools. And, of course, I talked about how we made the book, making it transparent, um, how you can make a book like that if you wanted to. Um, but that's true not only for bookmaking, but for making music, for making film, for making doing a startup, for building a house for that matter. It's yes, yes. a lot easier yeah. to do today than it was 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm just I want to sort of circle back um, and uh, to the this is the probably the the little bit of the darker side of this conversation. Um, you spoke um, earlier about some of the minor concerns um, about cyber, cyber conflict and and uh, and I, I'm also aware that you're you've got uh, you've, you're part of your cataloging processes species catalog and so on. Mm-hmm. So um, would you can you speak a little bit about um, your thoughts on on uh, on cyber con- conflict. This is something that I've thought about quite, uh, you know, Al, because the the 
the dependency that we now have on the internet um, with pretty much everything that that even if it went down in a particular, you know, just let's say it went down in the southeast Queensland where I live uh, for three days, it, it would be quite a catastrophic experience. Um, so can you say, you know, from your research, understanding, reading um, and, and <clears throat> life experience in this, you know, where your thinking is around this at the moment? Well, um, this is a it's a big um, it's a big subject that has many different paths to go to go down. Um, I, I would first of all say that all the technologies that have encouraged and facilitated the things I was just talking about, power the yeah. individual to create. Well, by the way, also allow individuals to destroy, individuals to allow small groups who are networked to become um, very powerful even to do harm. So it's yeah. the, the internet is the amplifier, and it amplifies both good and bad. Um, yeah. And so um, it, 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 it is something that, um, uh, you know, we don't forget that there's more scammers and Spammers and criminals and um, rogue states and et cetera using these same technologies for for harm and so yeah. um, uh, I, I you have to recognize that and and um, so but but just uh, I was talking about you know planetary problems the man of planetary mind and planetary response is, is the same thing, which is that these new networked digitally facilitated um, uh, groups, the, the, the responses to them have to also come sort of at the same speed, the same internet speed, the same internet networking. So, so, what I do know is that the traditional responses to things that cause harm are not going to work to right. um, you know to to kind of reconcile this and so um uh you know just just for instance the war metaphor applying the war metaphor to terror is just a really bad idea it, war is not the not an effective uh, device anymore. It's it's um, you know we're, we're it, 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 that's 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 a kind of twenty first twentieth century um, mindset, and so um, yes, we, we we have to use uh, a different set of tools. To, to deal with this, and um, even our definitions of things, of, of what we mean and what we, uh, you know, how we define things, what what the how we define things in order to apply the law. All all these are um, in flux, and so yes. uh, even some basic basic definitions of what does a you know. What 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 is a uh, an act of aggression in this arena 
the answer is we don't really agree on that anymore. We don't really know. We don't. Uh, what's what's a excursion across the border? What does a border mean? Well, yeah. these these terms, sovereignty, national sovereignty. These these terms don't don't really have as much meaning as they used to. So, um, all the basic assumptions that we brought before I never had to, to, to question, now they're all under uh, under uh, a challenge. And so that makes, you know, um, it, it makes this enterprise of kind of dealing with it very, very difficult because there's not much agreement on it, it, when you start to depress people on what it is that we're yeah. fighting for, what, is that we're, what is it that we're fighting against, what, what, what's acceptable tools, what's acceptable... We don't, we don't know. We don't agree. And so um, that, to me, is both, you know, opportunity and and, and threat. It's, it's, it's both. Um, it's an opportunity yeah. to, um, to grow, to move into new things, and it's a threat in the sense that we don't have answers and we also, that often leads to paralysis. And so, um, and, and I'm a, you know, that's, true for war, it's true for crime, it's true for all the, the negative things, and it's also true for the positive things. So so this is a period, I think, of great flux and uncertainty, and um, uh, people can be scared, and unfortunately that, that fear will, is, is mobilized to do stupid things. Um, and it'll take a lot of effort to prevent us from doing stupid things because of fear um, or even to govern our lives by fear rather than by the opportunity that they present. And my mission really is to try and have us focus on opportunities rather than fears. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's as um, as an Australian, I've been to the United States over fifty times, and uh, um, you know one of the things that that uh, I, I find every time I sort of enter the borders of the United States is just this sort of low grade fear that is, um, and, and I've you know been there um, both well since the, since the mid '80s and so on, and and but also just the the, the uh, the propagation of the stories of all of that, um, and you know, it, it, it uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that it's very helpful to to our our evolutionary trajectory uh, to to um, propagate that type of um, focus on fear versus what you're really looking at, which is is a, a completely different conversation, you know, how um, this is what we have and, and this is sort of comes back to the, the exploration of the technium. It is and it exists and it has a shadow element and it, it's, and it has its own um, evolutionary trajectory and so it's more about, you know, how we partner and, um, and, uh, and make wise choices around not only the technium sort of evolution but our um, evolution within that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think yeah. if you if you construct your society on worst case scenarios, then you have a worse society than if you construct it on best case scenarios. And I think you know that's a little bit what democracy is: is assuming the, assuming people are basically 
good rather than assuming that everybody's guilty. You assume everybody's yeah. innocent. And so I think um uh that that I think we want to have we want to build systems you know at the global scale to deal with these new challenges that assumes people are that assumes people are innocent until proven guilty yeah. rather than guilty until proven innocent. And I think um uh, uh, that it, this is a challenge. I'm not. Uh, I, I think it's not just the cyber conflict and crime. It, I think it's also embedded in the technologies that we're making for robots and AI. Yeah. You know, we have plenty of horror movies, dystopian movies from Hollywood about the worst case scenario: what happens if the AI takes over, what happens to the robots terminate yeah. us. Um but so but it's it's not um I, I think we're missing some of the more helpful uh yeah. <laughs> scenarios which should be looking yeah. well, well um let's look at we should assume robots are are, are innocent until proven guilty. And um <laughs> Uh, uh, I think that we'll we'll construct we'll, we'll, we'll benefit we'll have more benefits from from that by yes trying to imagine these positive scenarios which I have to say are much much more difficult to imagine than than the negative ones it's it's actually much more difficult to see how we have a desirable future than it is to to imagine. The ways in which you can go wrong. It's it's always yeah. easier to to see how things fall into disaster than it is to see how they kind of build up into something new. And yeah. um, people like me are often described as you know, utopians, but believe me, I, um, in some cases I wish I was because uh, Describing how the world would be utopian is, is extremely difficult. Um, yes. There's just there's almost nobody who has a real utopian vision. Um, I mean, that's coherent or plausible. Uh, I haven't heard of any. Um, the most people might have is some desire or hope, but there's a, there's, there's very few detailed. Scenarios, even fictional worlds, where um, everything is working peachy keen. Um, the, the, the complexity necessary to kind of imagine that is so so severe that that there's only I think there's only I think there's a very narrow path to uh, a future that works um, as things become more complex. That it's actually very hard to uh, to imagine that, but I think it's very important yes. that we try. Yes, I, um, I'm I'm aware of the time, but um, I have been um, a 27 year student of the work of Buckminster Fuller, and um, in you, you use um, I think it's exo exo exotropy or something right. like that. Um, Buck, ex- Bucky talks exotropy, about exotropy, exotropy, which is the yes. opposite of yes. entropy. Yes. Well, Bucky talked about syntropy. Yes, it's it's probably yeah. a very similar thing, though. Um, 
I actually, yes, I, I, I think he was talking, I'm not really actually sure about what Bucky's talking about, but I think he's talking about very something very similar. And the way I use yes. exotropy is that, in a more technical sense, that everybody knows what entropy is. It's the kind of running down of things where things move from order to disorder. And yes. in general, it's the, one of the few laws of the universe that we have never seen broken, which is that over time, the, 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 the entropy of systems tend to increase in the sense that they um, have friction, they, they, you know, nothing is perfect. There's always this cost of things turning into heat. And so o- over time, the general destiny of the universe is to flatten out and become... Yes kind of uh, a mediocre gray haze that's neither here nor there with no difference. So, so the yeah. differences between things, even out over time, everything becomes homogenous. And there's no yes. there's no signal, it's all noise. Well, yes. that's true except that there's these little pockets of the world where the opposite is happening and things that are in disorder are becoming more ordered. And yes. life is that. So in this little corner on this planet, at least in our solar system, while the rest of the solar system is running down, becoming more entropic, there is this thread, a continuous thread, and it's unbroken and it's, and it's, uh, it's the same thread. It's becoming yes. more ordered. So, so the... the yes. The general trajectory of life is there's increasing order, and it increases order by actually increasing the the, the rate of ex, of entropy. So 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 it's yes. like it consumes, yes, yes, yes. It generates entropy and exotropy at the same time, and that that increasing order is sort of it's a marvel, and it's part of the same. Exotropy, that is the formed matter, the formed the molecules, the formed dust, planetary, uh, stellar, stellar dust, the formed stars, the formed planetary uh, material, heavy metals, um, and that performed life. And so, in a certain sense, life is part of the same self organization, which is another word for exotropy. And yeah. I place the technium, what we're doing right now on this planet, making stuff, technology, as an extension of that very same life or that very same Mm self-organization that has been running through the universe from the Big Bang through billions of years of life and now through us as we make things. So there's one long arc of Mm. self-organization and we should be kind of, we should be glad when we're making stuff, even if it's stupid stuff that's being consumed and thrown away, we should be glad because we actually, as we make things, we're, we're partaking in this increasing order, exotropy of, of self-organization um, that will not only has been running for a billion years, but it will run a billion years beyond us somewhere. Yes. And, we can we can be part of this thing that's much bigger than ourselves by yes. honoring that 
um, that long trend. Yes, I I think you know in in sort of like the 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 dark side, the shadow side of um, is not just technology but human life and and ex, ex, I, the, the reason I raise entropy extropy is because uh, I think that the mythology of uh, um, entropy definitely it sort of establishes at a more deeper level that sort of those fears, whereas um, from Bucky's and my sort of and and what you're talking about, it's extravagant. Is that there is this other there's this other element that is that is uh, has a, has an enormous self organisation and and beauty and uh, um, enhancement about it um, that that is I think almost impossible to wipe out. Against our better natures of humanity. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I, I agree. There's a ratcheting effect in um, evolution. The great evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould talked about the the great ratchet where it's very rare. I mean, mean, part of what evolution is doing is is making it more difficult to to backslide. It it, it, it kind of deliberately makes things more complicated, very rarely ever makes things simpler. There is, a, there is a sense in which things kind of go in one direction. Uh, yeah. Globally, I mean, specifically individually, you know, species level, things all the time um, can devolve or go extinct or whatever it is, but the, the general trend is for... Um, uh, things to increase, increase in complexity, to become harder to eliminate. Yeah. Um, you know, it was easy to eliminate life at the very beginning. Now it's impossible to eliminate life. Yeah. Well, it wasn't impossible, but I mean, it's, when the sun dies, even then, um, life probably continues in some part of the planet, just living off the heat of the interior so 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 um that's yeah so so there is there is a kind of as you say a kind of a, a beauty or a joy in um in recognizing that um things are moving in a certain direction, and we yeah. can be part of that um and that's sort of my message is is that when we invent things and make things, we're part of that. That cosmic trend. We're part of that cosmic arc, that yeah. bend in the universe, mm-hmm. which is um, that brought us life and and mind and things like that. And um, w- when we take our hands or our minds and we invent something new, we we are part of that uh, um, that you know that movement. Yes, I um, just so just in closing in, on the speech that you gave at XOXO, I think that's how you might say it. Um, that you said, what do you want to optimize the opportunity to the opportunity to learn and the time for cool and useless tools. Right. <laughs> so I loved the I loved the uh, and I, we're not probably going to have time to go into that, but I love the I love the uselessness of that. You know, there's there's yeah, that's the art. I, I, that's my definition of art. 
is is yeah. cool and useless. I mean, I think cool is is the definition of maybe science, cool and useful, uh, science and yeah. technology, and cool and useless is art. And so, um, right. I I think that um, I'm a big believer in doing things that aren't productive or that seem to be a waste of time that are done just out of pure love and passion because I think more things are invented, more great original things are invented then than are invented by trying to be practical. And I, um, love it. I think artists in residence are an overlooked asset and um, the reason why young people are often the fountain of new ideas is because they are really good at wasting time. And so, um, uh, you know, yes, it's good to be efficient, but sometimes it's better to be inefficient. Uh, I really love it. Productivity is for robots. Just remember that. (laughs) Productivity is for robots. I could have that conversation with you longer. I'm going to honor your time. Uh, I really appreciate you making the time. I I simply uh, just sort of looking at the trajectory of your life and the story and, and everything else like that. Um, there's such perfection and beauty in it. I love what you create and the books and so on. Um, so, and your, your, um, how, how that circles back to humanity. So thank you so much for joining us um, today. Well, it's real, I believe, tremendous pleasure. Thank you for asking great questions about both uh, my technology stuff and my book, Cool Tools, which um I really do think people will find useful, not just useless. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate I appreciate your your taking time to um, give me a chance uh, to talk about these things. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Okay. If you want more of 2.23 AM, then you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to the blog of 2.23am.com. That's blog.2.23am.com, where you'll find articles and interviews featuring stellar guests from around the world, plus tools and resources and much, much more. Follow 2.23 AM on Twitter at twitter.com slash 2 underscore 23 AM. That's 2 underscore 23 AM. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash 0223 AM. Till next time, thank you for listening.